3: Wednesday morning, the 1st of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Yesterday, the doll was told uh, that for more than 30 years, the state and successive governments ripped off hundreds and thousands of elderly people and their families unlawfully, charging them for nursing home care.
4: Successive governments have pursued a heartless, legal and political strategy. A strategy designed by governments to draw out cases that they knew they could not win, to exhaust the ability of people to fund their legal challenges and then to settle for significantly reduced awards, all the while keeping things hush, hush.
3: Some serious accusations in a story that goes back decades.
5: This is a historic issue that dates back to the 1970s. Uh, I don't know the full facts of it, and I doubt that anyone else does.
3: Taoiseach Leo Vratker wasn't up to speed on uh, the strategy and asked for time to familiarise himself with uh, the minutiae, but he rejected Mary Lou MacDonald's claims at uh, this stage and he appeared to question the reporting of this story by the Irish Daily Mail.
5: I believe this matter has been grossly misrepresented, including by you just now, in a very irresponsible way. Your claim that people in private nursing homes were illegally charged is not correct and your claim that that was confirmed by a government spokesperson last night was just made up.
3: Simply made up, perhaps, but that strong rebuttal didn't bring an end to the now many questions that are being asked about this government strategy.
4: Who was briefed? Simon Harris, Helen McIntyre, Mehol Martin, anybody else? Who did the 2011, the initial memo go to? You said yesterday that you uh, believed it was to four people. Can you identify who they were? I,
5: I can't confirm who or who, or who was not, not briefed um, uh, over, over that period of time, but I'm sure individuals um, will do that as they can.
3: The Taoiseach unable to tell the Sinn Féin president who knew what when, but what did Leo Varadkar know about this himself?
5: I was Minister for Health 2014 to 2016. It's six to eight years ago. Um, I must have been briefed on it, um, ministers before me and after me were, as were the junior ministers, but I can't tell you when or by whom, in what depth or in what detail or whether it was written or verbal that's
3: the T shock. Leo Ratker speaking in the DAWL yesterday. Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News and columnist with uh, the Mead Chronicle, joins us now. Good morning to you, Gavin, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. The T shock telling us yesterday that not everybody, or anybody for that matter, knows everything about this story as yet. There's still an awful lot of questions and an awful lot to be established.
1: Yeah, an awful lot. Good morning to you, Michael, and to your listeners. Um, there there are some things of, of what Leo Varadkar said yesterday that, that you can, and, and maybe because, to be fair, you know, irrespective of what you think about Leo Varadkar, it is a Taoiseach speaking at leaders' questions on the floor of the doll on the record with a little bit of information in his arsenal. So you have to take some of what he says at face value. But there are still other parts of this whole thing um, which still seem to be in conflict. That Even if you take what he says at face value in the Dáil, there are other bits that seem to question that. So, I mean, the, the bits that are at face value, and, and maybe it's worth clarifying exactly for, for your listeners, because this can be quite, quite arcane or quite difficult to penetrate. for so to, yep. to, <laughs> to, to, to First of all, just to say what exactly is at stake. So, obviously, as we know, um, in 1970, laws were introduced which basically solidified the medical card system. And uh, under that basis, if you're a medical card holder and you were getting a place in a public nursing home that was supposed to be free. But many people were charged illegally, and there seems to be records that have been uncovered by the Irish Mail on Sunday's part of this, uh, which show that for a century, for decades, that the state knew that it was illegal, that it was directing the health boards, as they then were, to, to implement these charges. The health boards would write back and say, hang on, we have no legal basis to do this. The medical card holders are entitled to have these places for free. Um, but all of this came to a head only in 2005, when the Supreme Court ruled that yes, it had been illegal to charge many of these people for places in in public nursing homes all along, so the state set up a compensation scheme to, to refund that, and that had, that had paid out um, over the years that it was active close to half of a billion euro. Where it gets a little bit more complicated, and where this comes in, this whole this this legal strategy, this scheme, is what happens where somebody is a public uh, med- a public medical card holder, but finds themselves in a private nursing home. Now, there's some cases where people would have chosen to do that. It was an elective conscious decision and that was obviously then something that they chose to, to bear themselves. They chose to bear the cost of going to a, public, uh, a private nursing home and, and nobody would ever truly contend that the state has some responsibility to cover some of the deal there. But what happens in an instance where somebody through medical necessity is told that they have to go to a nursing home and there are no public places available and they end up then enlisted in the care of a private home and would have gone to a public one for free uh, with their medical card, had a spot been available. That, that is really what, what mm-hmm. is at issue here, and, and that is what uh, this, this whole legal strategy is all about. Now, now to put it very simply, you we know, have says, well, the state has never contended uh, that anyone who's gone to a private nursing home under any circumstances could ever have it for free or that the state has any responsibility to that. If you go to a private nursing home, that's on you, nothing to do with us. And he says in this all yesterday, we have never conceded the point that the state is responsible for those charges. And if we were ever brought to court, uh, we have multiple legal defences and we would mount an active and spirited defence of these cases uh, because we simply don't believe that the state should be on the hook for the decisions made by private citizens. But in black and white, in these documents, there is clear evidence that the state says if we ever got to a point where uh, prior to a court hearing, you reach the phase called discovery, that's where where each side shares its full paperwork with the other so that there are no, like, you know, no bombshells in court that each side knows exactly Mm -hmm. what the other is playing with. The papers, uh, as obtained by the Mail on Sunday, and and they published extracts of them and I've I've seen more, um, they make very clear that the state is very concerned that if you get to the point of discovery, um, that what is shared could end up being so sensitive that not alone would you end up losing that case, but you would invite Dozens, if not hundreds, more, mm. and that's an explicit fear that's outlined in these memos. So Labour, Iker may, may well say, you know, we 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 never concede the point, and if it ever goes to court, we will argue our case. But privately, these papers make clear in black and white that the state was never prepared to argue its case because if it ever got to a point where documents were being shared with the other side, that it could blow the whole lid open. And, and if you look at yeah. um, the way in which the state has handled, um, you know, other instances, like for example, cervical check. In one instance, there. You know, the, the solicitor Keane O'Carroll, who represented Vicky Freedom, went on to represent quite a great deal number of other people uh, who had had tests allegedly read, wrongly read by that programme. In an instance like that, where we have a good activist tuned in solicitor, the likes of a Keane O'Carroll, what the state is basically outlining in these papers is that a good solicitor who realises the extent of the state's vulnerability here uh, could clean up, that they could they could advertise basically that they have found this legal issue Uh, that they could then recruit many more plaintiffs to take similar cases, and the state could be on the hook for billions. And that's really where Leo Varactor's defence has some vulnerability. You can't say on one hand in the Dáil Chamber that, you know, we never concede this point and that we would uh, happily argue it in court when the papers clearly say... That even before you get to court, mm. the needs could be lifted, and that you may have serious legal vulnerability.
3: And indeed, as you say, about a half a billion was paid out in compensation, 486 million, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, through the health repayment scheme, which was set up after that Supreme Court ruling. Yeah. It uh, uh, had 35,000 applicants. At the time, they reckoned that 70,000 people would have been eligible, uh, and uh, the average payment was 20,000. Pounds, I think at the time to people, uh, which would have been about 40 to 60 percent of what they actually would have been entitled to.
1: Yeah. And, and that is it's worth bearing in mind that, you know, we, we might be talking about abstract things in the past or abstract amounts of money. But, but what is really at stake here is that, you know, when, when you start to imagine the circumstances, where somebody on a medical card finds themselves in a private nursing home. Again, Mm. there are some instances where a family decides this is the best thing and they choose a private facility and that's on them. And again, nobody is contending that the state would have some responsibility to chip in on that front, or at least prior to the Fair Deal scheme, because that obviously has has changed the rules a fair bit. Um, But if you think of circumstances where an, an elderly retired couple uh, are, are living alone and they're able to look after each other because they're, they, but they're both there and they both have the wits about them. they're able to live in the privacy of their own home in some comfort and then one of them has uh, it develops a, an adverse medical mm-hmm. issue or has a bit of a turn and, and suddenly then they find that they're they're not able to live independently anymore that they need the sort of professional care that their partner with all the best women in the world can't give them and basically they're, they are medically compelled to go to a nursing home yeah. and they're on a medical card but there's no public space available and they end up then in a private one and they're only in the private one because there was no public facility available to cover them. That, that, that's the example that we're mm-hmm. talking about here. And, and in, in an instance like that, you have the other the partner, the, the able-bodied partner, if you like, uh, would find themselves on the hook for, for quite a lot of money. And, and again, if these are the days before fair deal. Mm. is a situation where the, the surviving partner's pension is almost completely drained straight away because they need to basically every cent that they have, or every penny they've got, is going towards the care of their partner. Or, uh, as was one case that was even detailed itself in the mail on Sunday, you might have a couple that are uh, in their early 60s that are on the cusp of retiring, Mm. up a decent nest egg that should give them a fairly comfortable retirement. But they have one surviving parent who suddenly then can't live independently and needs to be put in a nursing home. And suddenly that that nest egg is gone and their retirement is ruined because every penny that they've got is then going towards the care of a vulnerable parent and like mm. what that leaves the surviving people doing like it leaves them destitute it leaves them so so devoid of any expendable cash that the the time in their lives where they should be able to live with a bit of comfort and to be able to treat themselves just that little bit is gone because mm. every penny they've got is going towards
3: paying for the care of someone else. Of course, €20,000 18 years ago in 2005 was worth a a lot more money than it's worth today. It was only a percentage of what people were actually paying on average uh, and in some circumstances you'd have had much higher bills uh, because people would have spent longer in the nursing home or indeed perhaps both uh, parents would have been in, in the nursing home. I see Matt Cooper writing in the Daily Mail today that he had to sell the family home he had inherited in order to pay for the bills. So I take it that in some circumstances, you're looking at potentially massive bills of 70, 80, 100,000 and possibly even more. They estimated at the time that that could have resulted in a bill of 5 billion euro, but it could be as much as 12 billion euro. And I heard talk of maybe 300,000 people being entitled to compensation.
1: Yeah, because and again, this is the extent of the state's concern, because although it is contending that it doesn't have a responsibility to cover Uh, the the care of anyone with a medical card holder in a private home. If you were ever to go to court and a court potentially said that any medical card holder had a right to services and that basically if they ended up private, then the state should have been paying the bill, then you do get to the extreme end of that where you could be talking about multiple of billions and potentially in some circumstances, yes, up to 12 billion. Uh, But even just to to go back to the sum, Mm. so if if the average payout was around £20,000 and bearing in mind that they're doing payouts in pounds although by 2005, we were dealing in the euro. Um, but if that is, on average, uh, 40 to 60% of what people had claimed, well, if if 20 grand is, is half of what you claimed, the people were claiming for 40,000, mm. but if 40,000 is based on the average day, that's the, the money they paid at the time in punts. If they paid 40,000 for their care, adjusted for inflation, and it's a lot of money, but also that's 40,000 for the average length of stay. And like you say, if you had two parents in there and they both lived to, to an advanced age, and they were both in need of private care for years upon years upon years, you're talking about six-figure sums from a lot of families that, that just simply didn't have the money. And as you say, like, you know, M- Matt Cooper, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't say this to be disparaging in this case, Like Matt Cooper is financially comfortable. But if Matt Cooper had to sell the family home that he inherited as an only child from his parents to pay for their care, then, then it's an illustration of just how much money is at stake and why you could understand the state being rightly perturbed at the idea of the court saying that there was a massive financial liability here.
3: Right, I, I add to that, uh, which seems terribly unfair uh, uh, on uh, the face of it, uh, the story uh, that RTE uh, reported on last night uh, that the state denied up to 12,000 people disability allowances.
1: And, and this then is where the rubber meets the road as regards Leo Varadkar's other defence. Uh, it may have been one of the clips that you played when you were introducing the story where, where Leo Varadkar concluded yesterday by saying that what what this what the the Mail on Sunday story alleges about nursing homes is that multiple governments and multiple ministers from multiple parties, along with multiple government departments uh, and multiple secretaries general and multiple officials, over decades all conspired to deny people money that they were entitled to, and the overhacker said that is as far fetched as it sounds. And yes, then only a few hours later you have a reminder that in fact, well, it's not really that far fetched because. At some level, uh, in the, the story that RTE covered last night about disability allowances, the state was fully aware that the, this was money that its citizens were entitled to and conspired to preserve the public coffers rather than to give the money to the people who had a legal entitlement to it. So, it, it, you know, immediately you have an illustration that what the overactor says is too far-fetched to believe is not actually that far-fetched at all. And you go back to other issues in the recent past, like, for mm-hmm. example, cervical check, where there was clear evidence of the state acting in a way that wasn't in the best interests of the citizens you can even go back to other issues involving the department of health and go back to hiv products in in the 1980s and 1990s or you know people who derived hemophilia from infected blood products or indeed something that's going through the door today the redress scheme for people who are survivors of mother and baby homes and in some instances people who you know were in homes and who suffered a bit of trauma who are being arbitrarily left out of this scheme because the state has decided that it really needs to manage the financial liabilities in this case so it's not really that unthinkable that the state might conspire to deny people money that they are entitled to, whether in law or morally. Uh, And so that's where where Leo Varadkar might find himself in a a bit of trouble, because he might say, this is a perfectly legitimate scheme, and what you're suggesting is basically a conspiracy which is too far-fetched to believe. Well, in a lot of people's minds, it's not too far-fetched to believe. There's good reason to believe that this was the sort of conspiracy that the state might have engaged in. Uh, And that's really where um, the the, the Mm. political damage of all of this might be, because... You have uh, a party, the lead party in government in that's been in power for 12 years, which presents itself as being this, this body of law and order, this, this party of high ethics and high moral standards. And really now it, it's becoming evident that a lot of that reputation is built on sand and that's where the, the real political trouble for Leo Varadkar might be into the long term.
3: And uh, another week uh, or more uh, of politics being dominated uh, by discussions of moral behaviour and ethics rather than the issues of the day.
1: Yep, absolutely. You know, yeah. we we ought to be discussing the the homelessness figures last yeah. week that showed another record number of people in emergency accommodation, 11,600 plus, and a, a moratorium on evictions, which is going to be lapsing two months from today. You would think that, that when those figures came out over the weekend that they ought to have been top billing in the door yesterday, but they were naturally, rightly compelled off the agenda uh, by people asking if there had been a conspiracy to deny people billions of their own money over several decades and you can understand why that is but again it is another issue where the government is dealing with, with legacy stuff and, and therefore finds itself too distracted to deal with the crisis of today.
3: Alright Gavin thank you very much as always for joining us today. Gavin Riley political correspondent with Virgin Media News also a columnist with The Mead Chronicle. Michael,
0: Michael Reed on LMFM. on LMFM
3: Well you don't have to have a, a very good memory to remember when a diesel cost uh, two euro a litre it looks like uh, it's just about to do that again possibly by the end of this month paddy common is aa ireland's head of communications and he's with us in the studio good morning to you, paddy thanks well, uh, for coming into in to us uh, today and this is because of the government intervention which was to cut the excise duty uh, that cut is about to be reversed now
6: yes yeah, it's due to expire we did see that duty come duty reduction come in In April last year, we were at a stage where fuel had gone up to over two euro per litre, especially for petrol. Government did step in to reduce the duty and take a bit of pressure off. That was extended, but that time looks like it's going to be up Mm. towards uh, the end of now February where we are. So 1st of March, we would see the price going up by 15 cents a litre for diesel and 20 cents a litre for Mm. petrol. Which is a big jump if you put it another way. It's a tenner in your tank, in your full tank. 15
3: and 20 cents, we don't mind. A tenner extra at uh, the pumps really is a lot. And people uh, felt it very strongly last time around. People were saying they were crucified by
6: it. Yeah, they were. And, Mm. and, and, you know, what what we're calling for is, look, if the government have to bring this duty back in, looks like there's no appetite to keep that going. Could they at least stagger it? Because we might end up in a situation where People will go, oh, I better fill the car. Mm. We could have queues at petrol stations towards the end of February, towards the end of this month. It doesn't take much for a petrol station to empty if there's a run on the petrol station. It's like a run on a bank Mm. and you could end up in a situation where people start panicking, panic buying. We think they should stagger it if they do have to introduce, bring it in over a couple of weeks. But there's a second factor as well, which might come into play. We know that that's a definite, that that price is going to go up because of duty. A secondary issue is potentially on the 5th of this month, just in a few days' time, the EU is set to ban Russian oil products. Now, they already talked about a ban on Russian oil. We talked about that Mm. before Christmas. This is products, and the EU has been a big buyer of diesel from Russia. Now, we might be buying our fuel from somewhere else, Asia, the Middle East, but that could increase transport costs, and we just need to caution, I suppose, that diesel fuel, in particular, could increase.
3: Mm. So, what are you talking about a, a, a litre? Uh, let's say. Where well, look, it's
6: very difficult. To, we, we know. Look, worst case. If at the moment we're now at one seventy yeah, yeah, five yeah, cents per yeah. litre, roughly, we know that it's going to yeah. go up twenty cents. So yeah. you're straight, you're edging you're, you're, towards the two yeah. anyway. Yeah. And we know that the price of barrel oil is rising. Yeah. So I think it would be safe to assume we not de- we never know that march april time we could be back in towards the 2 euro plus per liter mm. for diesel
3: 210 220 well we we hope not because it, what mm. that
6: does is it it means that the average motorist is spending about two you know 2100 more on yeah. diesel per year mm. that's the average motorist not to yeah, yeah. people drive might more than
3: some this. might argue that's a good thing though uh, because people will drive less well, they'll, look, they'll, they'll cut out unnecessary journeys and all that sort of thing. You know, we've yeah. seen yeah. lots of
6: figures. Mm, we mm. saw figures released this week or under Freedom of Information that saw that the tolls were, the, you know, the, the tolls, uh, fees were increasing in terms of how much revenue they were generating. There's discussions about it bringing a congestion charge into the likes of Dublin City Centre. Mm. There's discussions about park, uh, charging employers for the parking spaces that they have. So there's definitely mm. a push to get motorists out of their cars but as we've said so many times before give us the public transport network give us the alternatives and then motorists Mm. might start jumping out of their their cars then
3: okay well there's people who don't do uh, an awful lot of driving people like me and you're not going to be too worried about this it might be 10 or 20 euro extra a month uh, but it can run into several thousands for hauliers
6: yeah, that's the other issue. Mm. And, and, and you know, I've talked to these people uh, and in you know, particular even bus operators as mm. well. They really suffer fr- from this as well. So I, I think, again, we'll be having this discussion in March, April, where yeah. the hauliers in particular are saying, look, enough is enough. Mm. The, the government are making huge amounts of money. Well, somebody
3: w- has to pay it and you can't expect the hauliers to pay it. So they have to up their prices mm. uh, and then the supermarket or wherever they're delivering to has to up their prices uh, and it feeds into inflation. We all pay
6: for it. Yeah, of course. I'd heard a figure. I'd heard a figure that um, about March, April last year, the government were making about five hundred million per month on fuel alone, mm. which is a huge figure per month. Um, when it was up towards the two euro per litre mark, so maybe there was a hesitancy to. Do anything because they were just generating so much more in terms of tax take. Mm.
3: Yeah, and some of these taxes, of course, go into uh, modern technology and uh, providing the infrastructure for electric vehicles uh, and so on, and uh, they're becoming more popular. You've uh, the latest car sales figures.
6: Yeah, car sales figures are up. We've seen a, a jump of about 9.7% uh, in the car sales figures. January is a good bellwether of how the year's going to go. Mm. It's the traditionally big year. EV sales are up considerably as well petrol and diesel sales are up as well but 36% increase in electric vehicle sales so it is going that way only held up by supply more people would be moving towards them um, but Really? This, yeah mm. they would be there. Now
3: people confidence in them I mean can you get from one end of the country to the other and back again in a
6: well, We did since I have since yeah. I was here last yeah. uh, mm. I drove with my colleague Blake mm. Bowler another draft dweller uh, we drove from Mizzenhead to Malinhead Right on one charge of electricity. Okay. In, in a very, very expensive Mercedes, albeit, but it can be done. So the range is getting better. Now we're in a situation where the, the uh, charging points need to improve. Mm. We're told that they will, but it needs to happen soon. They are going to be installed into clubs, GAA uh, grounds, the likes so of that. There was an announcement on that this week, but we need to see that happen soon. Mm.
3: Uh, and uh, perhaps uh, that will encourage government to pursue with uh, this... Uh, increase in uh, the cost of fossil fuels and uh, allowing them to increase—if uh, it's leading to that kind of encouragement, if not, and confidence in people to go. Well, like given
6: yeah. you know, mm-hmm. given okay. who's in who's in, uh, in power mm-hmm. in, in terms mm-hmm. of the Minister of Transport, yeah. <laughs> I would see that uh, being being the case. But there's definitely a push towards getting people into more public transport. We just hope that there it's backed up by actual improvements.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Well, as you say, uh, there's a lot promised. Time will tell uh, whether those uh, promises are realised. Uh, All well and good for people buying new cars, whether they're electric or or otherwise. Uh, There's a lot of people uh, who have older cars and uh, they're due in NCT. They can't get a a test for six months or a year in some cases, as we've been hearing over a long period of time. Uh, This is going to be discussed once again today by an Oireachtas committee. But they're going to hear that there's 375,000 cars on roads in this country who have not got an up to date nct cert uh, which is illegal and can result in hefty fines and even
6: imprisonment yeah there are now i know the authorities and the insurers it, there was a question that you know came to us about you know your insurance the insurance companies and the Guardia are taking a very pragmatic approach to this that if you have at least made the attempt to book your nct and you can show that you've made an attempt there you know there is they take that into consideration. Yeah. The one concern for us in particular is that people are not are using the NCT as their yardstick of as to what's wrong with their car, rather than doing the the proper scheduled servicing. Now we're seeing increased level, levels of breakdown as a result of that, yeah. and it's their safety issues there because you know you shouldn't wait. Okay, well my NCT is in six months' time. I won't get the car serviced then, and I'll see what's wrong with it. That's not the approach yeah. people should take. They should service their car. As it stands, but there's an issue in terms of technicians. The NCT are saying that we notice that in terms of getting patrols, and the and the car industry are, as well are having that issue of they can't get younger people in to be a, to be in the trade, and we cannot get mechanics either in terms yeah. of the car industry, the AA, the NCT. We cannot get the staff for these roles. It's it's a particular issue, and I think it would be highlighted in that Aractus. Uh, talk today that that's that's one of the major major sticking points.
3: Okay, maybe uh, some food for thought uh, for younger people. uh, There's obviously uh, work uh, if uh, they go into an apprenticeship or or, or something like that Uh, but uh, the NCT uh, did prove to be a a wonderful thing for the fleet of cars on Irish Road. It took all those old bangers that people will remember off the road and and with that improved safety Uh, and therein lies one of your concerns.
6: It does and and anyone who has a car out there, a car will behave how it's treated and if you keep it maintained we see some wonderful mm. classic cars some vintage veteran cars continuing on the roads today because they're maintained properly and that's the difficulty here is that I think we have a little bit of a culture in Ireland of going oh, well I'm going f- to use the NCT as a way of finding out what the matter is and just re- just fixing that mm. rather than saying okay this is what I put myself in, this is what I put my family in I need to make sure that this car is a tip top standard because the consequences are, are, are very bad if, if, if something mechanically goes wrong.
3: OK. Paddy, thanks for coming out to us uh, and uh, good to see you in here for that matter. Paddy Cummins is AA Ireland's Head of Communications. Michael,
0: Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. FM. I don't know,
3: I still can't get over that figure of 375,000 cars on the road that don't have a valid NCT cert when it is illegal to have a car on the road without a valid NCT cert uh, perhaps it's uniquely Irish situation but 375,000 people or cars technically breaking the law as we speak um, perhaps uh, something can be done a- about that as uh, Paddy Cummins saying to us, uh, they are showing discretion if you've uh, booked your test even if uh, you're not due to be tested for a, a year or so uh, they will use discretion, perhaps you won't end up in prison or facing a huge fine It's going to be discussed by the Transport Committee later today, it was also discussed in the Dáil last week.
7: Your government states that the average wait for an NCT um, test should be 12 days, in reality. 60% of NCT test centres have no appointment available within the next five months. As of two weeks ago, nine testing centres had no appointment available until August of this year. And Drogheda was one of those. And because of the long wait... Motorists have their certificates of roadworthiness will be out of date. One constituent told me she booked her appointment for a test on the 30th of October 22. She got a date of the 29th of May 90, or 2023. And her insurance company also told her that she won't be covered in every scenario because she doesn't have a certificate of roadworthiness. And she, along with everyone else who don't have that certificate because of the waiting times, will face a 60 euro fine or three points on their licence and on top of that to add insult to injury the RSA have have been saying that no customers have received the free test as was the commitment given in their NCT customer charter when will the NCT centres be resourced and will the, the RSA commit to the, or adhere to the commitments they've given in their NCT customer charter for free tests for those Mister, please. that face delays.
3: Right, uh, and there's a lot of them who face delays. That's uh, local Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, speaking in uh, the Dáil last week. We discovered this week that it's 375,000 people who are waiting on an NCT test, or at least uh, who do not have a valid NCT cert. Uh, she was putting that question to the Tanishd, to Micheal Martin.
8: i have discussed this issue with Minister uh, Jack Chambers um, in respect of the delays, um, and he is uh, working um, proactively now um, with uh, the, the RSA the, in, in relation to the NCT the, 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 the now, progress has been made. 33,500 tests were conducted last week. That's a significant increase on the pre-Christmas period, in which tests averaged about 25,000 per week. But the backlog is simply too long. No, Deputy James O'Connor did raise on Sundays. You know the, the point that you raised in respect of the charter, uh, and I think he um, has effectively highlighted that discrepancy in respect of uh, in, in respect of. The fulfilment of the charter, my understanding is now there's a commitment to fulfil the charter and the obligations within the charter in respect of those who tests Thank you. Um, are, are, are delayed. Uh, I think the NCTS has recruited 110 vehicle inspectors, including forty-four testers. Um, and they're bringing the total number of vehicle inspectors to 595 by the end of... All right, we're over time. Thank you.
3: Indeed, Uh, we're over time. It's a good way of putting it. (laughs) We're way over time. 375,000 motors are way over time. They don't have a valid NCT cert. We'll hear more about that from the RSA in uh, that ROCTAs committee later in uh, the day, and we may hear more about it on uh, the programme tomorrow. But let's talk about Damien English now. You remember Damien English, don't you? We haven't heard from Damien English for uh, a number of weeks, not since he resigned his position as uh, Minister of State. But he, he continues uh, to be a Fine Gael TD for Meath West and uh, the local TD for many people listening to us. Uh, and, of course, that is, uh, despite uh, a number of Fine Gael deputies conceding uh, that Damien English knowingly and intentionally lied when he made an application for planning Permission to Meath County Council. He continues to be a Gael TD. Is that okay with Gael? That's a question that's been asked a, a number of times in the course of the last few weeks. And it's a question that was put to the Taoiseach again yesterday.
9: Corla and Taoiseach, it's nearly three weeks now since former Minister of State Damien English resigned, but no statement has been made in this House about the reasons for that. And on two occasions, I've raised this with you as to what further action you intend to take. A fortnight ago, you said in response to me that party matters are separate and Fine Gael is a party disciplinary process. Last week, you said it was a matter for Meath County Council and not the government. And meanwhile, thousands of people across the country who gave accurate information on planning applications and were refused permission to build homes will be rightly asking uh, what is going to happen next and asking us questions about what is to happen. So, Count Corla, I would like to know from the Taoiseach if former Minister English will be making a statement to the House and what action you propose to take Taoiseach on this. And I've I've raised this now on two occasions and sought a response (coughs) from you. you, And I am just raising it one final time.
3: Uh, Final time Ivana Anna Backage, the leader of uh, the Labour Party, said when she put that question yesterday to the Taoiseach, Leo Vradker, the leader of the Fine Gael Party. In
5: relation to Damien English, in relation to Deputy English, um, Deputy English has resigned uh, as Minister. Um, Anything to do with planning enforcement laws, as I've said, is a matter for me, county council. I've said is a matter for me, county council, and the internal procedures that we have in our party uh, are confidential um, and our internal matters, just as yours are, deputy. And I know there are disciplinary matters uh, underway uh, in the Labour Party at the moment, and I wouldn't be asking you in the all uh, questions about those.
0: Mm.
3: What did that mean? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, the Taoiseach seemed to be implying that uh, there were disciplinary. Matters being dealt with by the Labour Party. Uh, He withdrew that later in the day uh, when it was challenged by Ivana Bakage. But I'm not sure, did you get the impression that uh, the Taoiseach was saying uh, that um, Damien English is facing disciplinary action? Within the Fine Party, but he didn't want to talk about it because it was an internal matter. Uh, maybe it's just the way I heard it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but uh, that was uh, Leo Radcliffe, the Taoiseach, responding yesterday uh, to. Uh, the leader of the Labour Party uh, Vanna Bakic Now some of the comments coming to us uh, this morning, just a few people in touch so far we'd uh, text from somebody who says Michael the NCT is a rip off, my car failed because one light was shining too low both lights were set at the same level they said it was a free test but I have to pay for a retest it's a joke says Jim in Dundalk Uh, Another text about the NCT, are these vehicles not taxed, then, as you need an NCT, sir, to to tax your car? That's an Avon listener. Uh, Jean says uh, her husband has to go into a a nursing home, uh, and they want me to fill out a a form so that they can take some of my house. Uh, All we have is the state pension. How can that be a fair deal? I didn't fill out the form yet, uh, says Jean. Uh, Jean, uh, you're, you'll be in our, my thoughts anyway for the rest of the day. It's a very difficult, hard situation uh, that uh, you're in uh, and it can be very confusing for people. Uh, I, I don't think uh, you need to worry uh, about a portion being taken uh, off your house a, a, at the moment. I, I think it's um, a, after... Uh, yourself and your husband have passed and hopefully that won't be for any time soon. Another uh, WhatsApp message from somebody who says Hi, I stopped at at a checkpoint last night. My NCT is due in, or it was due in November last year. Uh, I told the policeman I could only get an appointment for May 23 and he said that's okay. Oh, very good. Okay. I think that's one of the problems. I, I think the advice is to have your appointment printed off, uh, to have it with you so you can show it to the guard. Uh, uh, but it's down to the guard's discretion. Uh, and I suppose when it's a matter of discretion, it can work both ways. You can get a guard who's understanding and says, OK, uh, and another guard who may look on it totally different. Somebody else says, it's all bull. I was due my test on the 17th of January when I rang to book... I was told the nearest date was mid-July, but if I wanted to go on a priority list, uh, I could. I I said, no bother. And lo and behold, uh, a week later, I got a text to confirm a date for an NCT on the 25th of January. In and out in two weeks, uh, someone's telling porkies. Thanks, uh, indeed. They do say that they always have uh, these uh, emergency or... Priority if there's cancellations uh, that you can go on that list, uh, and uh, maybe that's something uh, for other people to take on board. If you'd like to make a comment on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. And thanks to those of you who have been in touch with us so far. Our, our telephone number, if you haven't been in touch yet, is 0419832000. If you want to ring us uh, and leave a comment. With Maggie on 0419832000, or you can text or WhatsApp us to 0861800658, and you can email michael at lmfm.ie.
0: Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. And some more of uh, the messages coming to us uh, today. Somebody saying uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael did uh, the same thing to people with disabilities as uh, they did to, to people who were forced to pay for a private nursing home. Charges. Uh, another text or WhatsApp message from Deirdre who says uh, it was so wrong to be charging people uh, if uh, they were entitled to to free nursing home care. Something needs to be done to stop this type of uh, behaviour by politicians. Uh, another WhatsApp message from somebody asking, can you explain how fuel is so expensive when crude oil? is at its lowest price per barrel since 2008. So that's uh, Tom who's sending that. Well, I think what I took from Paddy Cummins uh, was that if uh, they uh, reverse uh, that cut in excise you're going to see a uh, uh, fill of uh, petrol go up by about a, a tenner and then uh, there are Putting a ban on o- Russian oil products. Uh, so that's going to lead to more expensive diesel, possibly coming from other places uh, because it'll be further to transport it. Um, we'd uh, some text messages in as well, quite a few of them, in fact, uh, about uh, the NCT. Uh, one uh, from Tom in Navin who says this government knew about the NCT fiasco uh, coming down the track. Uh, they have the foresight of a dead duck. <laughs> I'm not sure what's... I don't think a dead hook has any foresight. Oh, maybe that's what he meant. <laughs> oh, right, I get you. Uh, Margaret says, My NCT is due in March. Uh, a family member went online in November to book an appointment for me. Uh, the earliest date was next June. So I went the old-fashioned way. I rang them in December and I was told I'd here from the, uh, within 28 days uh, and I had the NCT done on the 16th of January. Uh, my test was due in December uh, and I'm having it today in Kells, says somebody else. That's not too bad a, a weight given the long waits that we're hearing uh, from other people. Uh, another text about this uh, from uh, a listener who says uh, they failed to the NCT uh, because the brakes weren't being used enough. Now, I'm reading this out somewhat cynically. I'm not sure if somebody is winding me up or if this is actually true. Uh, I'm taking this at face value. Uh, our caller is saying, they advised me to get the brakes paired down and then book a retest. Every mechanic I've asked said that no reputable, reputable garage will pair brakes down anymore and that I would have to get new brakes for no reason. Very frustrating. Very frustrating indeed. Thanks uh, for sending that text. Uh, As I say, I'm taking that face value. I'm not uh, uh, the most up on cars, uh, but uh, that, I I don't know. Um, I I, I hope you're not winding me up, really. I mean, the brakes in your car just haven't been used enough and they're telling you you need to have them pared down. I, I, I just find that very hard to believe. Uh, I'm sure somebody will tell me if it's true or otherwise. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for doubting you. Our, our services are broken, uh, says Tom. Uh, and another text uh, then. Uh, From somebody who says, Michael, on a serious note, and I hope uh, you read out uh, the nursing home scandal is still going on because people are being charged in private nursing homes for services that should be free with a medical card in public homes, but a public person in a private home with a medical card still has to pay. Yeah, you do hear of that, uh, all right. Uh, and I, I don't think it, it should be uh, the case. But thank you if you have been in touch. Remember, if you do want to make comment on the programme today, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number, oh four one nine eight three two thousand. 2000. That's oh four one nine eight three two thousand. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. 086 1800 658 the same number if you want to text a message or text a WhatsApp message to us, and you can always email michael at lmfm.ie if that's uh, more convenient for you. Um, I, I don't know if you heard uh the shock speaking in, in the doll yesterday. Uh, he I'm not sure if it's fair to say he was ridiculed. Uh, but there were an awful lot of TDs laughing at Leo Radker yes, and he wasn't sure why.
5: Uh, I think it's important that people should know the facts uh, before they make statements. Nobody wants to come in here and make a statement and then find out that something that they've said is incorrect, and that can happen uh, because uh, when things happen six or eight or, or, or ten, ten years ago, um, that does that does happen. And you know, I, I, I like some of the people who are laughing at me can't call their people had to change their own declarations uh, on on mul- multiple occasions. So you know, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit much.
3: They were laughing, the mic's work, uh, maybe it didn't sound as loud uh, as it did in the chamber, but they were laughing and I I think uh, uh, the Taoiseach appreciated that there have been occasions where ministers have had to come in and make statements and then have had to come back in. And adjust those statements and uh, make new statements uh, to correct the old statements. Uh, but uh, as he said, nobody wants to be correcting old statements. Anyway, another very serious issue uh, that uh, I think shocked everybody over the weekend was uh, the attack on uh, the refugees sleeping in tents. Uh, and uh, this mood that now seems to be sweeping a small percentage of people in the
6: Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
3: Country uh, who, if that attack is anything to go by, are starting to lose the run of themselves and where it will end up. God knows, uh, but there is some concern that it'll end up very, very bad indeed.
2: On Saturday, there was a horrendous attack on migrants, uh, homeless, in tents in Ashtown, um, attacked with dogs, baseball bats, sticks, because of being migrants. It's the horrifying consequence of the spread of far-right and racist, divisive, hateful uh, ideas and organisation. Last night, there were far-right activists claiming to have burnt down a building. Uh, Certainly the building was burnt down. Um, It seems because it was potentially going to be used for either refugee accommodation or refugee education. Taoiseach, this is going to get worse, unless a significant change of policy takes place by the government. There are far-right activists running amok and someone is going to get either seriously injured or killed, most likely to be a migrant or an Irish person of colour. the government should change its approach in terms of housing because this is being abused by the far right and the government should stop its own divisive and discriminatory rhetoric and policy, for example, towards non-Ukrainian asylum seekers.
3: That's uh, Paul Murphy, people before Prophet T.D., very concerned that somebody is going to be seriously injured or killed uh, as a result of uh, the type of attacks that he outlined there, that uh, attack with uh, dogs and baseball bats on those migrants in tents and uh, the burning down of a building because of rumours going around that it was going to be used as uh, migrant uh, accommodation. Here's what the Taoiseach had to say.
5: I want to say that the reports um, uh, of the attack in Ashtown um, near the Talca River are very disturbing. And while I can't comment on the specifics of the case, uh, I do condemn unreservedly any incident or threat of violence against vulnerable people in our society, uh, particularly those um, uh, from a migrant background. People have the right to protest, um, but they don't have the right to do it in a way that causes others to fear for their safety or in ways that threaten public order. I have sought a, a report from the Gardaí on this, and I have received the report, to haven't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, but they are continuing to investigate the incident. And I'm sure deputies will appreciate um, that I can't comment further on an open investigation. That's the Taoiseach Leo
3: Radker. Now, if you're in Beliver, uh, you may be interested to know that there's going to be a public meeting uh, about Garda numbers and anti-social behaviour. It's to take place in uh, the New Grange Hotel on Thursday of next week. It's being organised by Sinn Féin. Uh, Johnny Girk is on the line. Sinn Féin TD for me, the West. Uh, very good morning to you, Johnny. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, what type of behaviour are you concerned about?
10: Oh, yeah, Michael, uh, Michael, and we're getting a lot of calls, Michael, from uh, taxi drivers, um, people using the buses, um, local um, businesses within the town uh, last Friday night. Uh, just in Navan alone there was um, three businesses broken into you know and uh, a lot of those businesses are struggling to keep going as they are you know and and a good lot Michael of complaints coming in from the general public and we'll be very concerned Michael about the number of guards in the county and uh, why it's not being addressed and that's what the meeting is about Michael to throw it out there see how big an issue is and see if we can put a bit of pressure on government and on the Minister for Justice to increase the numbers of guards in need.
3: Okay, by how many? Well, Michael,
10: you have one guard per six hundred and sixty-six people in Mead, uh, the lowest by a mile in the country. There's other counties, Michael, within um, the country who have one guard per three hundred and thirty-four people. Like that's Me- Mead has half the guards um, that that county has, and that's compared to um, the, the, the head of population. You know, so we we, we need that increase, Michael. It it it, it has got worse, Michael. Uh, in two thousand and seventeen, Michael, uh, um, we had we had one guard uh, per per um, 610 um, and now it's uh, one guard per 666 you know, and that that's since uh, in, in, in the last couple of years you know, mm. that population massively increasing
3: uh, And uh, the worry, the concern, the problems uh, most uh, intense in Navin, is it? Well, Michael, it's all over the
10: country, all over the county. Michael, you take my own areas, Michael, of At Bay and Old Castle. Michael, if you checked um, the Garda numbers, they would tell you that there's three guards and a sergeant in Old Castle. Um, Michael, there wouldn't have been three guards and a sergeant in Old Castle in 20 years, and you could take the same uh, for At What's happening, Michael, is um, when um, places like Kells and these other um, guard stations are under pressure, they're pulling the guards out of um, Old Castle and At and other smaller stations around uh, the county. And the reason they're doing that, Michael, is of, of lack of numbers, you
3: know. Right, so Sinn Féin in government would double the amount of guards in County Mead.
10: Well, we, we, I'm not saying Michael would double the uh, amount of guards in County Mead, Michael, but it has to be brought up uh, somewhere with the national average. If Mead, Michael, had the national average per head of population, you would have an additional 200 guards in Mead. I'm not saying, Michael, they are going to get 200 guards, and there's lots of reasons, Michael, where other areas have more guards, like, um, you know, um, gangland, um, mm. drug dealing, uh, feuds, uh, but In general, Michael, um, there's no reason, Michael, why we should have uh, other counties have double the number of guards per head of population.
3: Well, maybe you've just explained it to us. Maybe uh, the demand on policing is greater in other areas.
10: Yeah, in, in certain areas, Michael. But it's not right across the, the country. Like it's okay. not in. Mm. It, you take counties like uh, Waterford, um, Michael. That would have um, double the number of guards per head of population of meat. Mm. Um, you never hear of, of um, an awful amount of um, crime uh, higher than any other county okay. coming from Waterford. You know, but they still have double the um, number of guards. I, I don't know,
3: I don't know. But uh, I'm sure the guard commissioner knows uh, who decides how many guards are deployed where.
10: Well, uh, um, I'm sure um, it, it could come down to the minister for justice, like um, they, the, they the, shit, they you, the boss, under.
3: No, I don't. I, I think it's a, an issue for the guard commissioner
10: the Garda Commissioner so Michael and the Minister for Justice and, and whoever it is Michael it needs to be addressed like I, I have invited Michael um, the Superintendent to the meeting um, uh, next Thursday night and um, hopefully he'll come and um, address some of these issues it's not, it's not about um, challenging the Garda um, Superintendent around here. it's about trying to get more resources for the county
3: mm yeah but it's a decision that has to be made by the guard commission ba- ba- based on the resources uh, available to them uh, and are you saying that drew harris needs to pull people out of waterford and put them in, and put them into Navin?
10: what i'm saying michael after the 2020 general election we had 14750 guards yeah Today, Michael, we have 14,350, 435 guards left. Right,
3: 435, one per 666, and I understand all of that, and you've given us a a long list of problems and a long list of problems that people are enduring, uh, which you think would improve if there was more policing and so on. Where is the Sinn Féin solution?
10: Michael, do you not think, Michael, as an elected representative, it's my job to try and address uh, these issues? And and that's what I'm doing, Michael. I'm bringing it out there to the public on next Thursday week. The the solutions are, Michael, that we need more guards in in County Mead.
3: Yeah, but how do you do
10: that? Well, you you, you imply them, Michael. Over the last last three years, Michael... um, between new recruits and probationary guards, over four hundred have left the force, Michael. Because it's because of wages and conditions, If that's the reason that they're leaving the force, these issues need to be addressed. That's the people, Michael, that didn't even go beyond um, being employed full time in the guard. They have left. You know why is these why is these issues happening? We need to address those issues. Mm. And if it is, Michael, a thing of um, you know pay and conditions, well, we have to address those issues.
3: Right. Um, and Dan, what? Uh, if you manage to recruit uh, enough guards, uh, and the guard commissioner decided to put more guards into Waterford, more guards into Dublin, more guards into Cork and Limerick, and other hotspots into Louth, uh, where there is a, a lot of problems, as you know, with the drugs gangs, what then? What s- solution would Sinn Féin bring to this problem,
10: Michael? Um, you talk to anybody, Mike, any of these towns around County Meath? Yeah, they're looking that
3: for that somebody. F- they're looking for somebody to bring solutions. What solutions is Sinn Féin offering?
10: Increase the number of Gardaí on the street, Michael. Have, have, have it where you can see, if you walk down the street, you'll see a guard, whether it's on a bike or it's in a guard or car or whether it's walking the streets. You never see that anymore, Michael. We, we need more of that. We need, we need more of a guard of presence late at night. There's taxi drivers, Michael, around the county telling you that they won't go into certain areas, that they won't come out later after a certain time on a night So That's not the way we want our society.
3: Okay. Uh, The meeting is in New Grange, 8 o'clock on Thursday, not this Thursday, Thursday week, the 9th of February.
10: That's it, Michael, yeah, and thanks.
3: All right, thank you indeed. Sinn Fein TD for Mead West, Johnny Girk.
0: Michael Michael Reed
3: on on LMFM. The chief executive of uh, PayPal, uh, Dan Schulman, uh, wrote uh, to employees yesterday in a memo that said the company is about to cut 2,000 of its staff around uh, the world. There's about 2,000 employees of PayPal in this country at the moment. Uh, many of them in Dundalk. Paddy Malone, PRO with uh, the Chamber of Commerce on uh, the line and thanks Paddy for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Of course uh, people will be very much aware of uh, the recent job losses at PayPal uh, in Dundalk and how those jobs were moved to Asia. I'm sure there's a lot of concern this morning.
11: There's always concern when you have a situation of change, Michael and good morning to you. Um and, and that's just part of a business situation. Look, PayPal, like Microsoft, like uh, and Google, like any of the others that are in the tech business they expanded probably too rapidly uh, when COVID hit because of the huge demand that had been put on them with the change in circumstances of you know lockdown. Mm. Paddy,
3: and I'm just, uh, Paddy, I'm just just. Uh, uh, it's difficult to hear you're a bit muffled. Yeah, not sure. say,
11: could, could you ring me back on, on, on the same line? It's just that uh, there's a second wrong on my phone, so my apologies.
3: Okay, yeah. alright, okay. We'll do that. I think it'd be well worth uh, doing that because uh, I thought the line was uh, particularly muffled there and we'll hopefully be able to improve on that line. Uh, and let's uh, see Uh, what people have been saying in the meantime. More of uh, the comments coming to us. Bernie, thank you for your text WhatsApp message. She says her NCT was due on the 19th of October last and she looked online. But the earliest date available was May this year. So she rang the NCT on the 17th of October. They text her back on the 26th of October very efficiently, with a date for the 14th of November. That's November gone, so she's had the NCT done and all. Uh, she says they're just there's people who are just milking the system. Uh, it, they're doing that. They're putting their lives and their families' lives and everyone else's life at risk on the road. Bernie, thanks uh, indeed uh, for uh, letting us know that. I, I don't know if anybody's milking the system because there's nothing to be gained. Uh, let's say you had your NCT... Uh, in May uh, as the date you were given uh, instead of uh, the 19th of October. Uh, Well, if you had done your NCT, passed your NCT, uh, your NCT would have only been valid from the 19th of October the date it was due Um, it's not like you get away with the six months or whatever so I'm not sure that people are milking the system Uh, they're being told there's long delays Uh, maybe they haven't uh, the foresight to pick up the phone and ring because they don't release all of the appointments at once and there are always cancellations so there's good advice coming through the comments this morning for other people thanks for that Bernie Uh, Paddy Malone is back with us uh, and uh, thanks uh, for that Paddy you were saying uh, that PayPal grew too big, too quickly?
11: Well, I think the, uh, what I was saying was that, that the industry grew too quickly and too big. I mean, I don't think, I'm, I'm not sure about the specific circumstances in PayPal, um, but it's the same sort of situation has arisen in most of the software and indeed hardware companies. So if you're looking at a, a global trend, you're seeing the same thing. A, a rapid expansion during COVID, a contraction now, and now with the war in Ukraine, don't forget that PayPal is dealing with... Uh, it's a call centre dealing with all of Europe and, and, and further afield as well. So that when there's a contraction, even if we're not feeling it too badly, in Central Europe, they are definitely feeling it. So it, these sort of ebbs and flows are inevitable. Now, having said that, that is not a callous disregard for jobs. I think it's all for the people who are going to lose jobs. Hopefully not too many in the dark. And what I would say to anybody who is going to lose a job in the dark, look, the LMETB is there as a training centre just in the, right next door to PayPal. Mm-hmm. The DKIT is across the road from us. SkillNets is also very active in the Chamber. So there's plenty of opportunities to upscale or retrain for another job. And hopefully PayPal will be re-employing people in the future. Now, we, we, we've already seen a, a significant growth in the Dundalk area over the last year, Cassi and others in the software business. So, you know, these sort of things, these setbacks, I would describe as being temporary rather than permanent. Uh, But that's not to diminish in any way the fact of a a job loss. That is an awful thing to have to carry.
3: Mm. Uh, And and, uh, I suppose uh, if uh, there is hope for Dundalk, it's uh, that it is the European headquarters.
11: Yeah. And uh, also uh, in in the past when PayPal has been doing this, and it has shed before, um, as have other companies, uh, they, 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 the terms have been relatively generous. Now, I cannot remember off the top of my head what they were, but the last time I do remember that it, it, it was a relatively strong situation. Um, so, look, um, I think anyone who's working in the tech industry recognizes that there is a period of transition that's going on globally, and Ireland is not immune to that. But hopefully, as you say yourself, the jobs that are in Dundalk are, you know, and, and in uh, Branchestown. They're the both of a high nature, they're high quality. Um, the training has been pretty good. So they're not going to shed those jobs unless they have to. So I, I would be hopeful, that, wait minute, I'm not worried mm-hmm. in the long term, but I would be hopeful that, uh, that you know, in a couple of months' time, uh, Michael, we'll be dealing with an expansion of PayPal again. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's just the inevitable ebb and flow of business. Uh, mm-hmm. And what we've got to do is make sure that people are ready for those jobs. And that's why I'm going back to the training and going back to what, what facilities are in Dundalk to help these people find alternative jobs and it's
3: quite Yeah, I remember when PayPal opened uh, its headquarters European headquarters in Dundalk uh, and explained all of the reasons why and why it chose Dundalk uh, and uh, I mean it, it really couldn't have been more complimentary uh, about the town and all that it had to offer a company like PayPal uh, but it didn't seem to be very sentimental when it started cutting jobs then and sending them to Asia because it was cheaper to employ people and that the government grants had dried up here, uh, coincidentally or otherwise.
11: Uh, Michael, look, uh, every company has to be profitable. And if you, I mean, I take, the best example I can give you is another one, not PayPal, is Dell and Galway. Dell and Galway closed making man, manufacturing boxes, as one engineer put it to me. Mm. Um, Two
3: thousand
11: jobs that, yeah. That went to yeah. Asia. What came in its place? The software jobs to develop the software that ran those, that ran those machines. Far better jobs, far better paid jobs extensively about a better situation. So that is inevitably going to happen, mm. that people, you know, we got the benefit of that in the 60s and 70s when American companies came to Ireland for cheap labor.
3: Yeah, but when and we give all this money over cheap. to them, when we provide all of these incentives, can we not do more to protect the people employed by them? Can we not I, get I, greater guarantees in place?
11: Well, no the, no, the IDA have done a superb job on the, on the grants and guarantees and everything else. But inevitably, you don't forget, the PayPal is here over 20 years. Those jobs have long, those guarantees would not have run any more than 5 to 10 years. So, you know, 20 years for those jobs to be there, that's a, that's a good record. Most businesses don't survive 20 years. If you have a 40-year business, you'd have an outside broadcasting unit celebrating 40 years of business. So I don't think that's fair. And what I would say about PayPal is, they have been an incredible supporter of the chamber and of initiatives in the town. Whether it's the tidy towns, whether it's the chamber mm. itself, or whether it's other organisations, PayPal has not been found wanting as a, as a supporter of the economy, of the community. No, I, I, that's not one. And if you talk to anybody in Andover, they will tell you that.
3: Okay. Uh, is Dundalk vulnerable, though, because uh, there's such reliance on the tech industry, which is readjusting, resizing, downsizing, whatever term you use it, or, and it seems okay, to be yeah, one I after learned. the other uh, with these big companies, Facebook, what? Meta, Alphabet, okay. Stripe, well, and so well, let's, on.
11: Yeah. Let, let's, let's, take, let's take what actually happened in the last year. A company called Cassai has come in, uh, it has an operation in, Sa- in Sandy Ford in Dublin, it is now setting up a second operation in, the, in Dundalk. It was supposed to go somewhere else, but because of the M1 corridor, my pet project, uh, it ended up somewhere else. It ended up in Dundalk. It, t- it said it would, take, it would have 250 people employed in two years. It's already exceeded 100, and it only started recruiting in October. It's got ads on Facebook and everywhere else that you can possibly go looking for jobs. So there is this inevitable situation of change and movement and jobs that you and I didn't even know existed 20 years ago are there today. I mean, I, I, you know, when I'm working with the DKIT and I'm talking to the academic staff there as chair, they're telling me they're, they're changing courses and even changing degrees to in anticipation of what's going to be coming in six, seven, ten years' time. Because that's what you have to do. And that means nothing stands still, even jobs. And the jobs, say, for example, in ECHO, and on other companies in the 60s, which were great, they moved. But other jobs came in and their place. And what you've got to do is look at the overall situation. Now, as I said, that's not what, right on individuals, and that's why I'm always emphasising the need for training and redevelopment. But these companies will come and go. So Cassai has come in. It's got over 100 jobs in the first three months. It said it would get to 250 in two years. I think the, the latest target is it'll be Christmas of this year. So there is a positive situation, which, you know, is is, is incredible. And, and what they're saying is they're looking for locals as much as they can. We see p- production, in, you know, it's not in, the, it's in a completely different business. It's in the biopharmacal. But its plant, the second plant, is about to go into production. There's already 500 jobs up there. The target will be eventually be to get the 1,200, 1,300. So these changes and flows are inevitable because the jobs that... You know, the jobs that my grandfather would have done or that my, my father would have done, those have changed beyond all recognition. So inevitably, nothing stands still. So, we, so that's just part of life. And it doesn't matter what part of life you deal with, it's not the same as it was 10 years ago, and it won't be the same in 10 years' time. And the jobs, you know, if, if you were to if, if when I was going through college in the 70s, if somebody tried to describe the jobs of software engineers or data analytics, I wouldn't have understood what they were talking about. It's a different language. Completely. Okay. The, uh, the, job, the job for the idea is to attract people in to use the incredible skills that our p- young people have and that's what they are doing and the job of the educational institutions is to have those people ready for jobs. So these things, no one likes them.
3: Mm. Do we know when PayPal is going to make this announcement? Do we know when PayPal will reveal its plans, where the cuts will...
11: I I I, I don't know. I contacted Mm. PayPal just a few minutes ago, and um, they have promised they will come back to me. And if I get a statement from them, I will pass it on to you.
3: Okay, well, it's going to be an anxious wait, undoubtedly, for the staff. Absolutely,
11: and Mm -hmm. I feel very sorry for everybody Mm. that's in that situation.
3: Okay. Paddy, thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on the programme this morning. Paddy Malone is uh, the PRO for the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Sinn Féin motion uh, debating, which will be debated in uh, the Dáil this evening, calls for the regulation of CAMHS, the child and adult mental health uh, services. Uh, It also uh, called uh, for a national clinical director for mental health services uh, to be reinstated, for CAMHS to be given adequate funding. Uh, for the waiting list to be reduced and for a time frame to be laid out which would tell you when uh, all open cases, particularly children and young people who have been lost to follow up, uh, will uh, be reviewed. Uh, the motion actually was put to the door last night and we can hear uh, a little bit uh, from uh, the Minister of State Anne Rabbit on what she had to say about the motion.
4: The motion raised tonight does not appropriately reflect the significant investment in our mental health services which I have already addressed this evening. I will also highlight the emphasis that this government has placed on improving accessibility to mental health services Services for young people. Continued investment in community service continues to be prioritised. Over 80 million in funding was provided to community based organisations in 2022 who also provide important early intervention services. Early intervention services are a strong staple of mental health services for young people and provide an essential point of access to supports for those in distress and are experiencing mental health difficulties. And this 80 million in funding is provided to to a wide array of service providers, often funded through the HSC. However, for those who do not need access to the specialist support and services that CAMS provide, it is acknowledged that children and their families can experience varying waiting times. of current referrals to CAM service are responded to within three days. Steps are also being taken to actively reduce waiting times.
3: Now that's uh, Minister of State Anne Rabbit, uh, and let's uh, speak uh, to Mark Ward, Sinn Féin. TD and spokesperson on mental health who sponsored uh, this motion yesterday. Good morning to Mark Moore. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, What did you make of uh, that contribution? A lot of money, £80 on top of all of the good work that's already been done through CAMS.
12: So in relation to funding, there there is funding coming through the Department of Health for, for mental health, but it's the wrong sort of funding. So last year we had the situation where we had up to 20 million of this as one-off funding measures that were time-bound and had to be spent in a particular uh, time. For example, there was the money had to be spent by the end of November last year. So, which meant that CHO areas, and I've seen the internal documents that went around, CHO areas were basically scrambling to find something to spend this money on, or they would have lost it. So, we had a situation where each CHO area got a fleet of electric cars. Um, electric vans for transport in, in relation to this i have no problem with that but that should be a separate budget the money for cams and this is the point that we are making mm. last night it needs to be multi-annual it needs to be a multi-annual process so cams can forward plan so cams can put in place their own recruitment measures so cams can put in place measures that will retain staff in cam service because that's an issue that we're having.
3: And the Minister asked you to recognise the good work uh, that has been done by CAMS. Cam's uh, you said uh, in your speech uh, that there's a lot of young people who get excellent care, but there's no doubt CAMS is also failing a, a lot of young people, uh, and in very serious circumstances, in crisis circumstances. Uh, and that's the point. There's where the concern is.
12: Yeah, absolutely, and I and I do acknowledge the the work that CAMHS do and the staff that are in CAMHS And a lot of times, when people get into the the system of coms they do get the care that they need. But for many people, that's not the, that's not their experience of it. Um, we we have seen situations where we have lists upon lists of people who are waiting for even initial assessment for CAMHS So, for example. In, in 2020 when this government came into place there was over two thousand just over two thousand young people who were waiting for an initial assessment of CAMS. that has risen to four thousand the minister said there in our opening speech there the big two play there in relation to access and early intervention one of the earliest parts of intervention would be other less acute services than CAMS, such as primary care psychology. So we have gone from ten thousand children who are waiting on, on a waiting list for primary care psychology to 13,000 children who are currently waiting. And it's absolutely scandalous. We have areas at Jigsaw that have up to 30 weeks of a waiting list as well. And if these children don't get this primary care or the care that Jigsaw give, they're more likely to need the more acute services of CAMS going forward.
3: Nice. Um, you asked who was in charge. Uh, because there seems to be some dispute about reinstating a national director of mental health services.
12: There's a, there's a big disconnect between the Department of Health and the, the Department of Health, which the minister oversees, and the HSD. And there's a couple of examples. So one was in relation to the reappointment of a national clinical director for mental health. This post was discontinued by Simon Harris in 2016. The minister herself has agreed with Sinn Féin and has covered publicly on the floor of the or i I've supported 100%. percent you got support from all the stakeholders and all the opposition in this, and the HSE has continuously blocked this appointment. We've also had another situation there before Christmas. Before this report was published by the Mental Health Commission, I was aware of an escalation of concerns that were brought to the HSE. When I asked the Minister was she aware of them, she said she was aware of them, but I asked her was she aware of the nature of these concerns. This was in December, well before the report was published, and she informed me that the HSE did not inform her. Now, there is no way if I was Minister for Health or Minister for Mental Health that I would stand over that. As the Minister, you are directly responsible for what goes on in mental health services.
3: And the waiting lists are extraordinary, or can be extraordinary. Uh, We've heard of so many children waiting for over a year. It seems uh, that some children are are waiting more than 18 months. There's a a letter to the Irish Times uh, which is signed by uh, a number of doctors on behalf of Deep End Ireland, a group of GPs working in the most disadvantaged communities in Ireland today. Uh, And they say uh, that um, where there are services for children that have waiting lists of 18 months or more It's pointless given the dynamic nature of uh, their growth and development and early adverse experiences have lifelong impact on both mental and physical health. Uh, I think you were saying uh, in your contribution last night uh, that you see serious problems in children uh, from around 16 years of age onwards. Well,
12: international uh, experience will tell you and international best practice will tell you that a, a, a youth mental health service should go from up to the age of 25, because most children or most young people will experience and experience acute mental health difficulties between the ages of 16 and 25. I was at a, a youth mental health conference in Copenhagen this year, and that was the theme of that. So that's something that we need to do. Now this is not just Mark Warchin saying, uh, TD calling mm. for this. This is in shared division. This is part of the, the government's pro, uh, program for government. They just haven't started this process. So at the moment, what is happening, and it was in the report, when children reach the age of 18, it's like a cliff edge. They leave leave the CAM service and there's little or no follow-up or even referrals into adult mental health services. There is a big big disconnect between the both of these services. So we need to extend the service to the age of 25 so children don't reach this cliff edge.
3: What happens in Copenhagen or other countries uh, that probably have uh, more efficient uh, service and uh, uh, standard of care uh, that uh, would be appropriate Um, uh, if uh, a child is in crisis and their parent uh, takes them to the GP, are they referred into mental health services or are they advised to go to the emergency department of the hospital?
12: Well, they're definitely not advised to go to the emergency department of the hospital. What happens in in other countries is it's what happens here. And any parents that listen to this, I I I still tell them to follow the same procedure. If they go to the GP, the GP should refer them to the appropriate service. Now be that primary care psychology, be that jigsaw, maybe even sometimes it might be PA the house, or it could be the more acute, moderate to acute service like CAMS. And that's the that's the the, the, the gateway into getting your treatment. The problem that we have is, is what I explained already. We have waiting lists that are years long, so that thousands of children on it and are left waiting and their their mental health difficulties come more acute over that time. So for example, if I hurt the outside of my head and I cut with the outside of my head and I went to a GP or a doctor, more than likely I would be seen and I would be stitched up and I would be fixed and off I'd go. But if I had something going on inside my head, I know I wouldn't get the same level of treatment mm. and especially when you're a child, that's, that's, that's necessary.
3: Okay, your motion wasn't opposed.
12: No, the motion wasn't opposed last night and I I made the point last night that the government have a tactic. This is not the first time this has happened with me on mental health. The government have a tactic where they will not oppose a motion just because they don't want to be seen voting against something if there's a political fallout, especially when it comes to children's mental health. Now, I challenged the Minister last night. Actually, i done something that i have never done in the door before. I pleaded with the Minister last night to put in place the measures that are in this motion, because this will make a real difference in the lives and the care that treatment uh, that children get.
3: Okay, we leave there for the moment. Thank you, indeed, as always, for joining us on the program. Sinn okay. Féin spokesperson on mental health, Mark Ward, TD.
0: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
3: Breed Smith, as I'm sure you know, is a people before Profit TD, but she's called for a protest today in her own name, so as not to politicise this protest against violence against women, which will be outside of the Doll at half past 12 this afternoon, and joins us on the line now. And a very good morning to you, Breed Smith, and indeed, happy St. Bridget's Day to you. Hi,
9: my day, so hopefully something good will happen to me. <laughs> La <Lola laughs> Yeah, thanks.
3: Very good. Okay, but the, the protest is uh, to coincide with Lola Breda.
9: It is, absolutely. And I was just listening to your advertisements there, and Bridget has been hailed as a the original rebel and fighter for justice and all that. And this is a symbol for women on the question of femicide and gender-based violence But because, look, we're sick of listening to violent murders of women. with we were 15 in the country last year and two since mm. the beginning of January. And, uh, and since Ashley Murphy was killed last year, we had so many promises from the minister, from the government. And uh, yes, they have a good strategy. Now, it's sitting on the shelf waiting to be implemented. But in the meantime, the problem of toxic masculinity, coercive control and oppression of women continues to dominate um, there's certain measures we'd like to see the government taken immediately first and foremost to provide more refuge spaces mm. there are the statistics show from Women's Aid there are an average of eight families a day turned away uh, because there's nowhere for them to take refuge and that means they're being not just turned away to nothingness but to tor- turned back into the arms of their abusers it's, and that's
3: women uh, and children
9: women and children yeah mm-hmm. and and uh, there's only um, there's nine counties in the country that have absolutely no refuge spaces at all, and this was highlighted again last year, um, and still hasn't changed. And we've about a third of what the Istanbul Convention, which is the international convention on gender-based violence, the Istanbul Convention recommends um, a certain proportion per head of the population. We have less than a third of that recommendation. And, look, it's just not acceptable. So there's certain things the government could move on immediately, should have moved on. Um, and there's a the question of sex education and consent education of our children, both boys and girls. And that's urgently required because children are exposed to a toxic masculinity that really leads down this road. And uh, it, that is also something that could be changed with immediate effect.
3: Right. our uh, boys and men... Um uh, suffering the same problems, uh suffering from the same influences elsewhere outside of this country.
9: Yeah, no indeed. There there is violence against men and It's proportionately much, much less
3: prevalent. I'm sorry, I'm talking about the toxic masculinity uh, because, I mean, a lot of that is due to the influences that a lot of our young boys uh, are learning uh, as young children and growing up as young men, whether it's what they talk about in the schoolyard or what they're watching on their phones and that sort of thing. Uh, But it's kind of cultural, isn't it?
9: Oh, totally. And my apologies. I thought you were yeah, talking
3: no, about violence against yeah.
9: against yeah. Uh, men, yeah. which does exist. And I, yeah. I, I wish to acknowledge that. I wouldn't for mm. one minute doubt that that's not a problem as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, toxic masculinity has um, in- intensified and increased because of the, you know, very negative role that social media plays in all of this. Mm. And uh, it is, it, I'm not saying this is a particular problem to Ireland. Mm. This is a pandemic, you know, it, it's right across the world. The level of violence against women and sexual violence as well mm. has absolutely exploded. Uh, so it is a cultural problem across uh, the planet. But we have responsibility for women and women and girls and indeed boys and men in this country. And we need to start tackling the culture. And we could start with sex education or schools, which isn't exactly the best international pra- best practice of yeah. a model. Um, and the curriculum is under review at the moment. And I know that the National Women's Council and Women's Aid, etc., have made submissions to the government on the reforms that they think we need to see in the curricula, and uh, it's, it's not being taken on board. Now, that's something mm. they could do with immediate effect, as I say, and opening up the refuge space is another. And all of the law uh, fraternity acknowledge that the family law courts need to be reformed. When are we going to see that, you know? Mm. You don't need an agency to do that. You need to just get the... Roll up your sleeves and get to work on it. And all of this would help to undermine—not it won't eliminate—but it'll help to undermine um, the, the level of um, violence against women and girls. But it would also help to resort them so that they feel more confident and have uh, have the ability to challenge it um, more freely and have an alternative, maybe place to stay yeah. or a better court system that look after them. Yeah,
3: we all have a, a role in it, don't we? I, I mean, uh, it's a matter of respect, uh, treating each other with respect, treating each other equally.
9: Absolutely, and understanding what consent means. Yeah, you know that no means no, and uh, that really taking that on board because making excuses, well, uh, you know, she looked at me this way, or I thought she meant the other, is not. It's not a. Uh, it's not for purpose and it won't. Um, it won't wash. And women, I think nowadays, particularly younger women. Are not putting up with that, but unfortunately, they are still being murdered, and they're still being violently murdered mm. on a scale that's unacceptable.
3: Yeah, or, or being terrorised, living or being
9: terrorised and coercively yeah. treated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
3: mm. living so, in dreadful fear in their own homes uh, where they should feel safe, uh, and yeah. unfortunately, some people not understanding the women themselves not understanding that the problem I- it is as serious as it is, because it can start off in a a very nuanced way, can't it? Uh, uh, The likes of uh, people looking at their phones or telling them what to wear or telling them who to see and all that sort of thing.
9: You know, just controlling. But also, look, you've made an important point there. There's 87% of women who suffer abuse, domestic and sexual violence, suffer it at the hands of a partner or an ex-partner or family member. So there's kind of like um, hysteria at the moment in relation to unvetted male refugees, that they're going to be the worst rapists and, um, you know, rapists and paedophiles that the country ever saw as an invasion by these people. That is so untrue. The statistics show that it is partners, ex-partners and family members who are uh, the abusers and women know they're abusers in the vast, vast majority of cases. Mm. And so I think we need to get rid of that myth yeah. and start looking reality in the face and dealing mm. with the problem.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, there's an awful lot of stuff goes on behind closed doors. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's always been an Irish phenomenon as well, hasn't it?
9: Yeah, and the state needs to cop on and and, and give the supports that are required so that if you're behind closed doors and these things are happening to you, that at least you know you're going to be treated well, that you've somewhere to go, that there's um, um, resources and facilities there for you, that you're not going to be... um, just feeling absolutely trapped and not not able to do anything about
3: it yeah uh, and there is somebody uh, who you can speak to all of the time. And there's no stupid reason for calling one of uh, the helplines. Uh, we were talking no, about this indeed, last week. No, no
9: indeed.
3: You won't, some, somebody's not going to say you're stupid for ringing us uh, because uh, he told you what to wear or because he told you who not to see or anything like that. I, I, if it doesn't sit right, it probably isn't right and it probably is no harm to talk to somebody. Yeah,
9: and I need, it, it's just about, oh, you told me what to wear, what not to do drink what way to sit that's symptomatic of a wider problem
3: yeah okay and possibly the beginning of something else breathe thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program it's at half past 12 outside the doll today if people want to meet with you uh, to protest uh, against violence against women maybe a better thing is uh, to talk to the men that you know as well if you can't make it to the doll today uh, and to your children uh, to the boys uh, and young men growing up in this country and asked them to have uh, some respect for everybody and to treat everybody equally. Uh, Breed Smith, by the way, is a people before property T.D., but as I said uh, at the outset, uh, she's uh, called that protest in her own name today rather than as a political rally as such. Now, if you would like to speak to somebody, uh, there is always somebody at the end of the Dundalk Women's Aid line and that number is zero four two nine. Double three three two double four. That's nine. Double three three two double four. It's open twenty four hours a day as well. Now Margaret was in touch with us asking if uh, the governments elected n- don't remember that they're elected by the people for the people. They're not elected to hide what should be known by the people. We've had scandal after scandal like hepatitis C cervical check autism, dossiers, mother and baby homes, nursing homes, two and babies, disability payments. Is there more that we don't know about? It's a disgrace our governments, past and present, have and still are treating citizens with regard to keeping information hidden. So much for democracy. And as for the protesters against uh, immigrants coming into the country that Breed Smith asked a moment ago, the likes of the people who beat fellas up in tents with baseball bats or that building down she asks are they working if they're not uh, then they're on social welfare and their social welfare claims could be uh, cut and should be cut until they stop all of this Uh, if they're able to stand around spouting lies and making threats against others then they're well able to work if these people end up in court it's the taxpayer who votes the bill and their free legal aid thugs should not be rewarded for vile behaviour the majority of Irish people have the good sense to ignore these bigots and thankfully they are a minority says Margaret thank you Margaret That's it for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye.
2: The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now michael at lmfm.ie.